You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to this episode of The Emma Gunn Show featuring author, entrepreneur, and personal trainer, James Smith. To listen to this episode ad-free and to watch our conversation in full in video, head to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now and become a patron today. Welcome to The Emma Gunn Show, James Smith. How are you? Very well. Very well. Thank you for having me. I really want to talk to you about a lot because you have three books, Diet, Life Coach, Confidence, and I wondered if we could start with diet. The landscape when it comes to dieting is really complicated and I'm extremely nervous to even have this conversation with you because I think you and I are fairly aligned you can say I can't okay okay is that where you think the differentiating factor is between having the knowledge and being able to put it out the fear what you mean is in like a fear of judgment not so much a fear of judgment yes there's the expertise thing but I think there is also an element of as a woman who has had weight issues her whole life we can even unpack weight issues if you like i think it now looks smug if i'm like oh it's calories it's all about energy balance it really doesn't do me very well on social media when i lean into that could this have something to do with no offense to anyone that follows you but sometimes people complain about their following like later in their journey and i say well you kind of bred those people over the years so you maybe This is why I'm kind of grateful to my younger self of swearing a lot and being very polarizing because if I change, not even change lanes, but if I now step into the state of confidence, none of my followers are like, oh, you fucking sell out, you're a fucking PT because I weaned all of those people out across the years. Every Mm -hmm. week I lose half the amount of people I grow by. So if I grow by 3,000 this week, I lose 1,500. So I have a very aggressive unfollowing Mm -hmm. to my socials, which is why I think that I don't particularly get that much criticism for much that I say. So why is it that if you talk about calories that you get rebuttal? Because I haven't spoken about them before. I haven't taken a position. So then then you're, th- this then boils down to the metrics you use for success when you speak about it. Because if your metrics for success is transparency, you might lose some followers in the process of being transparent. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of people, including myself, use their following growth and, you know, use that as a metric for success so sometimes you talk about that and you see a stagnation in your growth you then think i'm saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. so it boils down to what you see as success with what you talk about because that's going to influence how you feel about what you say brings back to the other point that you have to i do think it's important not to be middle of the road someone once said like you get hit by both cars coming both ways well, i like that <laughs> i'll put that in book four <laughs> like um yeah no you I, I joked around. I think I was talking to my taxi driver about this the other day. I said, if you are someone that likes premiership football, how many teams you got? 12? Everyone that loves the premiership football side hates 11. Mm. Hates them. So even in something like that, even like sport, if you're an Arsenal fan, you hate 11 out of 12. So even as a premiership footballer, you're hated by the majority of fans. 
It's just facts. Same mm -hmm. in like Formula One. No one's gonna like you if you're a driver that you know isn't the driver that you support. So even to be not middle of the road, even if half the people in the UK fucking hate me, I've still got way more as a percentage than most other realms. So it always, and for me, my objective when I became PT was I wanted 10 clients that paid me. If I was to get 100 pounds an hour, and ideally you don't wanna have 30 clients for one hour. You would ideally have 15 clients for two hours, or you would have 10 clients for three hours a week. Mm -hmm. And although that is a lot of money for them and, and for you as a trainer, it's like 150,000 pounds a year to work 30 hours of PT a week. That was the end goal. So when I started on social media, I only wanted 10 people to like me. And then even now, it's probably about 3 million followers uh, between socials. If 3,000, so less, even yeah, less than a percent of my following do business with me, I get to keep the lights on for me, my employees, my business partners. So if 99% of the people that follow me don't even like me, I still provide income for maybe like 10, 15 people. Mm. So including myself. So if I wanted the majority of people to like me, although I may be able to make more money, it would be, I don't feel a bit disingenuous. <laughs> well, the reason why I wanted to bring up calories as well, and we can talk, <laughs> I can talk for hours about why I haven't actually taken a position on it, and I probably will after this episode, but it's because it's science, it's fact. And yet there is, what I find really complicated is the fact that you can say something that is scientifically true, and you will still get contradictory rebuttals being like, you're wrong and this is why, and also you suck. Yeah, there are loads of biases that occur in people's minds. So even, there is a bias that probably I'm succumbing to, which is the bias that I'm holding on to my prior beliefs, which is a bias in itself. But a lot of people have a confirmation bias where they do a modality of training or a type of dieting and they see success. And then, you know, after a while they get to paint their own picture of why they're experiencing success. Mm -hmm. And it's not always true. In the same respect that, um, for instance, people, when it comes to ego and things like that, people tell themselves a story about their life. And if they believe that story they tell themselves, they start to get lazy. So have you read Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday? Oh, Ryan Holiday, the Stoic, mm -hmm. I have not. So in essence, he goes, it's very easy when you experience success to be like, it's because I'm smart, I'm funny, I say the right things, I'm hardworking, all of these things. But if you start to believe the story you tell yourself, you start to forget the early mornings, the late nights, the twitch in the eye that you had, the times you hated your partner, all of those things. And people can get very much caught up in their story, not the reality. Mm. And same way that when we go through life, we remember the good times more than remember the bad times. You know, you remember the great holiday, but not the three hours you sat on the runway. Mm. So when you, people, human beings are incredible storytellers. So then let's say you do low carb or keto, whatever it is. If they experience success because of the science, they often paint themselves a story as to why they had success. And sometimes your stories don't match up. And again, if you want to get into more of like a philosophy, philosophical debate there are three truths that you can have you have an objective truth which is because it's true by science you have a political truth because it's repeated enough it becomes true mm -hmm. and then you have a personal truth which is true because it's true to you so if we were two different religions sat next to each other i might say you know allah is real allah is god you might say no you know the father of jesus whatever it's like to both of us that's true so we can't bring the truth of objectivity in here and go, well, actually, there's no gods, you know, because it's what feels personal to us. You might say, oh, Southwest Trains, the best train service in the UK. <laughs> but to me, I might be like, no, Great Western, because they're truths to us. The objectivity of thermodynamics sits in the middle. But so that's where we get into these debates that people become 
almost religious with what has worked for them. So it's an element of storytelling, it's an element of people's personal stories and people's personal truths. And it's a very hard thing to distinguish. Mm -hmm. And if a million people say something wrong, it's still wrong. That's true. It's like a line from Lost Boys mm. in the rice. <laughs> so like they, you have that. And sometimes I can spot those. Other people do criticize in the comments, but then again, that benefits me. So mm -hmm. if we look at TikTok algorithms, this is how I think it works. If someone watches the video over more than once, you get scored. If they comment, you score, like, score, share, score. So even if someone fucking hates me, but they comment, they're actually playing into the algorithmic score. Mm -hmm. One of my biggest videos this year was where I got maths wrong. And everyone <laughs> before the video finished went to comment to correct me on my maths. So I went the wrong way talking about dumbbells that you select for exercise. So if you had a six kilogram dumbbell and you went down to four, it'd be a 33% reduction in weight. But I was talking about four going to a six and I said it's a 33% increase in weight when it's not, it's a 50% mm. increase in weight. And then I kept the edit and put it out because I knew people would be <laughs> so quick to jump in and correct me being wrong that it got millions of views. And you don't care about that stuff? Nah. Yeah. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's about me building a bigger so skin. Let's imagine this, let's imagine uh, three, three and a half million people think I'm an idiot. 500,000 people think, I get what he's saying, it's quite smart. Then 5,000 people click on the link to use my calculator and I convert 13% of those into Academy members. I just got paid to educate people, to help them with PT because I did maths wrong and got hugely criticized. That's a win in my books. Like if you're using general consensus and general opinion as your metrics for success, you might be well liked, but not very well paid. Mm. And ultimately, even with that, being well liked by people, how does that help them? So that's another thing that the content is it, it's very easy to get caught up in what we do on social media but for instance i'm trying to develop youtube strategies at the moment and videographers will often be like wanting to do a vlog or behind the scenes or whatever it is about what i'm doing but then i'll stop and i'll go how does this help anyone some ultra fans that are the ones that you know are looking for the girl you're dating or the people that find out where your parents live they'll watch that but if you're not offering value to someone in some respect then you know you're never really going to progress that far mm -hmm. if it's just a you know i'm going to put this bit of content out here so everyone likes me what who's that serving you know well self-serving isn't it mm. so maybe some people post content to make themselves feel better not to help people so they've got a bit lost on their little journey they've started listening to their own story and narrative about who they are suddenly they're posting they're an amazing person not that they're posting or starting social media or a podcast to help other people mm. So the goal is always to be helpful. And the reason I started this is because I was lost. I was the queen of self-sabotage, which is really evident when I think about the relationship I had with food. So for 30 years, completely in denial about the fact that I ate too much, even though there was physical evidence that I did. And it wasn't until I had surgery, um, uh, breast reduction surgery, not bariatric, and did that thing where I looked in the mirror afterwards and you know when Homer screams, I did that because I realized, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't about that. Everything's, everything's a big old mess. And then I thought, screw this. I can't be doing any more food combining. I don't want to be eating cheese and doing Atkins again. And what is the fundamental truth? And it was really simple. It was calories. And obviously there's a about unpicking one's relationship with food as well which I worked on too but because that really helped me and took me off a cycle of 30 years of 
absenting myself from my life, which is again, I think why a lot of your content's really uh, resonated with me because it really is about getting back in the game if you have, for whatever reason, taken yourself out of it. I really want to share that with people and say, my God, you just have to get out of your own way. You really do. And if you're looking for a guru, don't like go to the science when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, human beings are very uh, self-sabotage, but also self-destructive. Mm. And people, if I say to someone, hey, you're a self-destructive human, they're like, no, I'm not. And then I'm like, okay, tell me about when you drink. And they're like, okay, yeah, my morals slip. You know, I say things I shouldn't, I do things I shouldn't. Uh, you know, I." every single person that drinks becomes slightly self-destructive in some form of another. Let's say you've got a married man, happily married, beautiful kids, whatever. There is a chance, maybe even if a minuscule chance that he would cheat on his wife. If I get him drunk, suddenly that percentage becomes a lot bigger. And people are still rational. They just don't care about the consequences as much. So if you don't care about the consequences of something you've worked for for 20 years, that's self-destructive. Mm -hmm. Same when people are trying to stick to a diet when they're drunk, it goes out the window, all of these things. So human beings are self-destructive by nature. They're willing to throw away 20 years work for a minute of hedon like hedonism, you know, like, so there's all of these things. So human beings, we all share this for a start. It's more of a control thing than anything else. The relationship to food, I think that I'm not disregarding that there's trauma and there's, you know, upbringing, there's, for instance, I have a really strong connection with bread. I love bread, right? My mom, <laughs> my mom says to me all the time, she goes, when you're a baby, I used to give you like a loaf of bread to shut you up. Like say we're flying somewhere on holiday. She was like, I need a baguette for James. Oh. And even when I didn't have teeth, like I'd be chewing on this baguette the whole time. It just keep me happy. So then I think through my whole childhood, bread was always like a comfort thing. And when I come in from a long day, I'm like, oh, killing for a sandwich, you know, like, so <laughs> whether or not I've manifested that or not, that's the way I feel towards it. But we also completely overlook the fact that for the majority, we hate the way that humans disassociate themselves from the animal kingdom. Like we're some superior being. Oh no, those are animals. They belong in the zoo. We're hyper intelligent. You're like, fuck off. We're just, you know, apes with less hair. We've all <laughs> evolved from the same common ancestor. Have you seen, have you ever seen like dogs when it's feeding time? They go super erratic. They will eat out of each other's fucking bowls. They don't care if the other dog bites them. They're like, yeah, I'll take a bite. I'll have your dinner. So, we have this long, we forget as well that the majority of our existence, and I mean the majority, we lived in famine. We, people died of hunger. People were fighting for the top. So, you know, to survive hundreds of thousands of years of lineage, we would have to have something deep rooted towards food, sex and water and shelter. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. So many big fucking gnarly animals over the years didn't survive lineage. So if we weren't, emotionally connected to food we wouldn't be here especially not in numbers of billions mm. so people are like, oh james i've got an emotional eating f issue with food and some people have it severe but some people are just fucking normal let's say you leave like a load of berries in front of some apes in the jungle you reckon they're gonna have three and go oh, i've had my calories for today <laughs> so we're, primitively we're wired very much in a way that is congruent to natural wildlife same way that I think that people have issues with emotional connections with food. I also th think people have emotional issues from not being combative enough or having outbursts for violence, like all of these things, because we're violent creatures as well. That's why I think a lot of people that do martial arts find it incredibly calming. Mm -hmm. And people even use jujitsu as a meditative kind of way of training. People say to me, do you meditate? I'm like, I, I get my few hours a day doing my thing. And during the lockdown, the first thing that struck me was how much I missed like the combat of fighting another person, of trying to beat someone. And like, I think men typically, I think men and women actually, but maybe more so men have this dominance 
you know, uh, hunter kind of prey mentality, all of these things. And if you suffocate that, people do start to have kind of like emotional issues. I think if you starve your food response, you start having emotional issues. I think the further we can dial back to the fact we're not divine creatures that have ascended from God and the Garden of Eden, we can get to the bottom of it. Like people like James, you know, I've got an emotional connection with food. I'm like, good. If anyone sat in this room and said, I eat and I feel nothing, I'd be like, you need fucking professional help. <laughs> That's very true. And we all sit on a spectrum with all emotions, whether it's agreeableness, combativeness, uh, affectionism, you know, whatever it is, we have all these spectrums. So the relationship to food, maybe 200 years ago, only the top echelon would suffer with being obese, maybe kings, royal families, whatever. Then as the upper classes did less and less work and convenience overtook the world, those classes of obesity have got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now you don't realize how fucking comfortable we are as a nation, that we're now becoming divided over gender. Things that are very, you know, <laughs> let's see how many people are complaining about having a unisex change rooms in fucking Ukraine, you know, where someone's got legitimate problems. So now we've got to this point where we don't realize how good we have it in life. And now we're almost privileged in a sense to be like, oh, I overeat, you know? Oh, the problem is the food companies. The problem is there's too many options. That's a pretty privileged standpoint to have. Oh, I'm really annoyed because when I went to fill up my car with petrol, there was 4,000 different hedonic snacks in there that I can afford all of them. This is outrageous. It's the government's fault and it's school's fault. In some respects, I'm like, yeah, but you've just got beings that are very responsive to food, shelter, sex, you know, and you're putting them in environments where they don't have to exercise much. I can order us 20 pizzas right now without leaving this stall. Mm -hmm. And it can make it all the way to the door. And people seem to think it's primary schools' fault. Remember who you're talking to, James, that's a trigger. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like, um, but that's not to unwind or disregard anyone's genuine issues with food. I just want to normalize it so that the second we can get someone past the fact of feeling like they're broken, we can start dealing with what the issue is. Yeah, because the thing for me is that for many years, I was called greedy. Uh, all of those things that you can imagine. I know you, were you a fat kid? Or yeah, were fat you... tabalard, I was called. <laughs> That's creative for a nine-year-old as well. Nine? Mm, it would have been uh, year five, year six. I still remember, I remember all their names. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. I remember them. The one, actually, <laughs> one messaged me the other night to go to an event somewhere, and I was like, mate, you used to call me fat tabalard 25 years ago. I still got your name. I see, I feel like you'd say, yeah, let's go. And then you just rack up the bill on their credit card or something. You'd be like, eh. Nah, nah. Like, um, I'm not even mad with them, to be honest. But like, this is another thing. So like kids don't have anywhere to vent. Mm -hmm. If you have a group of brothers, parents are very happy to let them fight amongst themselves. And you, you, again, you see this with puppies, kittens, whatever it is. Any animal in the wild loves to have a little play fight. They're not trying to hurt each other. They're just expending energy in a way that is very natural to them. Zoomies. Yeah, and when you have kids and you're like, no, don't do that. You might hurt someone else's kid or offend them or give them a black eye. We, you know, we wrap kids up in bubble wrap. Are we surprised that when they go to school, they start bullying and really tormenting other kids? They need to get it out of their system, which is why I think that, you know, I think kids should be doing martial arts, maybe not striking, but they should be doing something combative to get that out. Because I remember, I don't really, I've never spoken about this on a podcast before. When I used to sit in school, I don't know if I have undiagnosed ADHD, I it felt like I was itching to move and do things. And kids, we have so much energy. And I literally felt like I was losing my mind a lot of the time. And I would zone out of what teachers were saying just to try and control myself from not wanting to get up and do things. So like, 
we're almost breeding people into like a, a state of psychosis by not letting them move, not letting them do things, not letting them express themselves. So it's it's not surprising that when I got a gap at school to go outside, I wanted to like get in fights with people and like, you know, you're, you're gonna gang up in groups and shake kids around and you're gonna bully people mm -hmm. because you need to express yourself. And like uh, people that were mean to myself when I was younger, now I look back at them and I'm like, you're probably just trying to express yourself. What do kids get in PE like at the moment? A couple of days a week? I don't even know. And then, so for me, I would be like suppressing all this energy that I had all day. I'd be exhausted by the end of the day. The only other time I felt this was when I worked in corporate. I was fucked at 5.30 in the evening, but it wasn't from doing stuff. It was from pretending to care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, meetings, I used to fucking hate meeting. And I was like, I'm in school all over again. Mm. Like, I know exactly what you mean. So if I'm there all day, just biting my tongue, not wanting to be in meetings. I remember biting my lip once so I didn't fall asleep in a meeting. When I get home, of course I'm gonna overeat because I fucking hated the last five hours. You think energy balance is a, an, an issue in my mind when I've just sat through a two hour fucking meeting with a FTSE 500 business where I couldn't take my jacket off until, unless they took theirs off and I'm sweating my ass off in Victoria. At a meeting at Serco. I'm like, I remember them all. And I'm like, by the time I got out there, I was going prepping on five sandwiches. I was like, so there are, it's a multifaceted, like I don't have the solutions to any of these. But like when people go, people are overeating, I'm like, I don't fucking blame them. Mm. But it's not even about having the solutions a lot of the time. It's about seeing what's going on. I think that's the thing that I felt is, I think that particularly with my weight, which is one thing we can talk about many, was I thought agency was removed. I couldn't do anything about it because I tried and I'd failed so many times. Every diet you can think of, tried it, except Slimming World, tried it, failed, like had success when I stuck to it and then failed again. So I was just on this roller coaster and it was actually, it's the seeing the problem. And one of the greatest pieces of information was for me, the part of your brain that's telling you at 10 o'clock at night, after you've had a meal, that you should really get off and make some pancakes. Well, that is telling you something. But the part of your brain that stands you up, goes into the kitchen and makes the pancakes, is the one that can override the urge. So you can just sit down and it'll all be okay. Just wait, wait it out. And it worked. It's also about appreciating what, that, that's like short-term wants, long-term wants. Mm -hmm. So you have the same where, I'm sure many female listeners have been in loving relationships. They're on a night out, they're getting some male attention and the, the man says, hey, do you wanna get out of here? You know, he might say, look, I'm not gonna tell your partner, this is a one night thing, I'm in and out of town. So the short term part of the brain will be like, oh, I get away with this, this should be fun. And this happens both ways. I'm not saying this is just a male to female, you know, <laughs> occurrence. Then you think long term, no, I'm trying to be good. I'm in a relationship, the relationship long term, a year from now means more than the idea of having sex tonight. So it's the same in so many areas of our brain or same area of the brain, but with different actions. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, even things like social media strategies, there were days and months where I couldn't be bothered to post, make things. But like one of, I think a lot of people think you're intelligent when in fact you're actually just long-term thinking. So for dieters that have that in their brain, they're like, okay, I appreciate this emotion. This is a normal emotion to feel. I'm not gonna act on it. Someone in the bar, this is a perfectly normal action, I'm not gonna act on it. Same one that says don't do any work today, you're like, oh, I probably should do it because in a year's time I'll be very grateful that I did. Mm. So, and again, like you say, making people aware that these emotions are completely normal, it's like fucking half the battle done. And then people can start acting on it. And 
you know, people out there, they're like, oh, okay, what's the cheat code? Imagine if you said, try and determine the amount of calories you're having a day, reduce 10%, cool. James, it's not working for me, do another 10%. They're like, what? Am I not gonna be under eating? I'm like, well, if you didn't lose weight, you're hardly under eating, 10% is not gonna kill you. And I've joked with people as well, like uh, no obese person's ever died of starvation. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, people are like, they're worried about under eating. I'm like, you're chronically overeating for a long enough period of time. And then when you say, people email me, these long emails, oh, you know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. They get annoyed when I say, okay, reduce your calorie intake by 10%. They're like, no, it can't be that. I'm like, well, it probably is. Mm-hmm. When I diet, I'm about nearly 100 kilograms. I some days train for two, two and a half hours. I can take my calories down to 1,600 calories and still survive fine. And like in aggressive periods, and women are like, oh, you know, 16, 1,500 seems a bit low. I'm like, hey, I'm doing that amount today. So, you know, it, it is one of those things. And again, weekends, people seem to think weekends don't matter. They undo all the good work of the week by, I've been so good this week, so it's all right if I have a treat and then it just... Yeah, in the same way that like everyone that's trying to save money then goes has an expensive Saturday night and realise they saved nothing all week. Mm. So there's definitely that as well where we're very quick to like put up blockades in our mind as to why things aren't working. And we're very quick to go, yeah, you know, it must be my hormones, must be how old I am, must be, you know phthalates in the environment that's stopping me from losing weight and you're like oh no you tend to let loose pretty hard at the weekend and uh, yeah it's it's just one of those things where people don't like that because they go oh well I'm always hungover on a Sunday I'm like well don't go out then they're like oh but I like to go out well you might have to find something you like more then you start challenging people on these personal levels mm. where you're saying to them you're going to have to change and level up if you're going to want you know we are a walking talking encapsulation of our habits well, this thing, and even silly things. I was, uh, I'm writing a book about my experience with all of the diets and all of the failures and successes and everything that happened since. And I've just written a chapter. And one of the things I was saying was that I was so traumatized by having not lost weight that I self-soothed with a breakfast from Starbucks, which was a large coffee and a peach and raspberry muffin, which is the superior muffin from Starbucks, apart from when they do the Christmas ginger one, just as a, a side note. But that isn't really, for me now, when I look at it objectively, I'd be like, if I was doing that every day, that really isn't a great breakfast for me to be consuming. Yet I have, because they call it a breakfast, coffee and a muffin's a breakfast, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sweet, I'm sound, like, I'm doing, doing nothing wrong. So for me, it was about sort of forgetting what I was being told and just trusting thermogenesis and just keeping it really simple. And that doesn't mean it has to be boring because I know that when you cut weight, I think that when you cut weight, sometimes you're like, I'm having an arm and cross every day. It's still possible. Yeah, for, for me, sanity comes at the forefront. I cut, so at the moment I'm in a very relaxed phase, but I'm still fine. My girlfriend still finds me hot, so that's all right. When, when she stops saying things, when I get naked, then I've got a problem. But um, yeah, I go through these periods. At the moment, my routine's absolutely fucked, so I quite honestly just don't care. But this is very actually good from a psychological standpoint. I had uh, half a prep baguette and an almond croissant just before coming here. So like, I haven't done any exercise. I don't even think I'm training today, but I'm in like kind of my not caring phase. But when I get back to Sydney, that's where I'm like, okay, cool, back in it. I'm in it, I've got my house, my gym is just down the road. Everything is like the jigsaw that comes together. I say to myself, okay, no almond croissants every day, but Saturday morning have one before you have comp class, um, which is just sparring for like two hours. Then maybe like once during the week, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to have this instead of lunch. And then when I'm a bit hungry at lunch, I'm like, you had your fucking croissant. <laughs> and they're big croissants in Australia. I reckon they're about six, 700 calories. But then it means, yeah, it means I'm just literally eating protein for the rest of the day. Again, I cook. Sometimes if I need to get a lot of protein in, 
I've got these like low calorie breadcrumbs that I put on turkey strips and then I do them over super noodles. So the super noodles are only calories, no nutrition. But to me, I'm sat there, I'm like, this is fine. I'll put some broccoli stalks in it. So I'm like, I've got a bit of fiber. I've got the non-nutritious hedonic thing. And then I've got the protein. And it'd be like 800 calories to what looks like a little ramen soup. And to me, I'm getting everything I need as far as like feeling the psychological break or I'm having the arm and croissant. So I'm getting that. Then the rest of the day, I'm completely fine just eating normal. But my favorite thing is I like to ramp up the amount of training I'm doing. Whereas Diran, my mate, he likes to ramp up the amount of non-exercise activity he does. That's yeah. why he created, that's where the neat up 24 seven thing was stemmed from because I'd rather train for three, three and a half hours in a day. Mm -hmm. And people think I'm crazy. I'll do CrossFit, then go to Jiu Jitsu before I've even like had chance to cool down. I picked a gym that's 10 meters away. <laughs> so I go downstairs straight to Jiu Jitsu. And afterwards people are like, you must be fucked. I'm like, yeah, I am fucked, but I don't like dialing my calories back that far. Right. But that's my approach. Mm -hmm. Not many people have the privilege to do that. But yeah, people have to keep it fun. And then suddenly like three months will go by and I haven't had a diet break because nothing I've done felt like a diet. So that's another bit of advice. That's the thing I would say that, I've, that I want to share with loads of people is I looked through, through a lens that I paid for. I looked at food through lenses that I paid for when I signed up for various diets, whether it was Weight Watchers or whatever. And that, again, it removes you a little bit from the food that you're eating because it's like, well, this is the calorie or not calorie. This is the point value of the food. And so you begin to see it that way. Then when you're not signed up, you've completely lost all sense of reality about what you're consuming. And then it all freewheels. And calories are free. They're on the back of pretty much every of all packaging. Yeah, like um, it, it makes sense to keep people at arm's length from that information so that it, they're a lot easier to control and mm -hmm. to keep in, you know, I do a similar thing in my app where if you pay, you get access to the app. But then when you stop paying and you need to leave, although we have different memberships, if you just want to go cold turkey and stop paying, we can't afford to let you keep using that. So we're like, hey, you have to be a member of some kind to use the app. So I understand it from a business sense. I just don't think morally and ethically it's too sound to educate people about calorie control in that sense and then remove it. And I was out for dinner with my parents the other night. That's one of the first times I've proper noticed uh, calories on menus. Mm. And looking at the desserts, I would usually, all the desserts mean the same to me. I'm not that much of a guy with a sweet tooth. Sticky toffee, pudding, creme brulee, like all these things. I'm like, yeah, they're all nice. What am I in the mood for? But then I remember seeing the coconut rice bowl was like 300 calories. And I think one of the sticky toffee pudding was 1300. <laughs> and I would never in a million years, if you said guesstimate, I would have been like, oh, they're all three to 500. 1300 fucking calories from a dessert that I'm not even that passionate about. Mm. I was there like, thank fuck this is here. But so many people tried tearing this down. Like so many people were like, but eating disorders. I was like, okay, but that you're using a small percentage of people to tear down something for other people. We should have menus without calories on for like specialist stuff. You know, it's like, it's even in this building today, have you noticed the little, things on the door so you can open a door with your arm and not your hand. Mm -hmm. I guarantee maybe one or two people in the building were like, I don't feel comfortable touching door handles and that's what they put in. <laughs> yeah. So like that, I'm not always, if, if this was my building and someone was like, James, I don't want to touch a door handle. I think I'll get COVID. I'm like, cool, we have these things, but you can fucking buy them. And you know, like, <laughs> you know, if someone goes to a restaurant, oh, calories can be eaten stores. Not a problem. We have menus without uh, calories on. They're two pounds each. Here you go. Like, you know, there should, I, I understand the problem, but I think it's a bit fucking privileged for people again to say, no, don't let anyone have the information because I have a problem. Support for this podcast comes from my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show. 
This podcast is what I do. It's my job. It's how I earn a living. And with Patreon and your support as patrons, I can put the time required into research, booking guests, paying for editing and production, booking and paying for studios, and much more that goes into creating episodes of the show. Your support as patrons allows me to create a show for you that's informative, inspiring, educational and entertaining with guests who'll add value to your lives. Thank you to everyone who's already become a patron of this podcast. I appreciate it so much. I've never asked for you to pay for the show in the six and a half years I've been making it. And all I'm asking now for ad-free audio and some video episodes of the podcast is £3 a month. That's just £3 a month, less than a magazine and most cups of coffee. And the more patrons there are, the more bonus content I'll be able to create. So become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show. I think one of the things that happened over the last few years is before I had my epiphany, my Homer Simpson scream in the mirror moment whilst bandaged up, I um, spoke to a lot of friends and I've worked in, in magazines, women interest magazines for a long time. And quite a few of them said, you know, Emma, you, should, you shouldn't wear yourself because then you're sort of like, you're going to be defined by a metric. What? It doesn't, doesn't say what your personality is. You should do it by your clothes. Like if your jeans begin to feel a bit tight, then, you know, eat a bit less. And so there was a while again where I was like, yeah, that's, that's actually not a bad idea. I'm not going to weigh myself anymore. Well, you can imagine what happened 18 months later. I got on the scales, Homer Simpson scream again. I was like, what have I done? Because I am someone who is now comfortable enough to say, I need a framework within which to work. Otherwise, I have the potential to freewheel. So when people talk about body acceptance and body positivity, my body acceptance was accepting that I was living in a body that was uncomfortable and I didn't like the look of, and I was worried about the implications on my health because I overfed it. And my body positivity was choosing to take action to not be like that anymore, which involved dieting, and I don't believe dieting is a dirty word, and exercise. So there's a concept called the inner citadel where people tear down things. Uh, so imagine, I can already imagine the scenario some woman that you know, or a relative of a relative, a friend of a friend, whatever, cannot handle the fact that they're gonna get different readings every day. And they might put in, in maximal effort and two days in a row their weight stays the same. And that will send them fucking insane. And the reason being is they can't handle the data because they've not been set up to have a value system that is congruent with accepting that. They tied their self-worth to the scale, they put in the effort and didn't see the result they wanted and they lost their shit. They've now painted a picture, this is terrible, this is bad, this isn't good for me but that's not enough. They need to get other people to join their cult and then they start converting people. Oh, you know, you shouldn't step on the scales. It's bad for your mental health. Oh, what, are you gonna let that define you? You're gonna let them do that? It's a fucking metric. Like, again, calories on menus. People are like, didn't work for them. I counted my calories. I didn't ever go over 1600 a day and I never lost weight. Therefore, it doesn't work and you shouldn't have it either and it shouldn't be on menus. People that have a failed marriage, they're like, marriages don't work. You shouldn't get married. Don't waste your time. People that can't pin down a girlfriend are, you know, well, you're gonna be monogamous, that doesn't work. You should never do that. You know, so what doesn't work for people, they then get into a cult of trying to tear it down and body positivity is stemmed off of that where people couldn't sort their shit out, whether it was through lack of willpower, which is definitely still a thing, whether it's through genuine biological and hereditary conditions, whether it's, you know, trauma, whether it's macroeconomic status, whether it's, you know, genetics being a hard loser, whatever it is, there, there are legitimate outliers. But again, if 
5% of the population really struggled to lose weight, why should they ruin the party for everyone else? And by going, oh, no, babe, you should accept yourself. You know, oh, 95% of the diets don't work. They're just making shit up on the spot now to mm. make sure, because they don't want you to do better because it makes them feel worse. And that's another thing where you've got a group of six overweight friends and one loses weight, they'll actually start to, you know, ostracize that person. Oh, where's Tanya? Oh, she's so fucking obsessed at the moment. You know, it's really unhealthy. She's she's barely eating. She's under eating. And, you know, we're worried about her to the point we've stopped inviting her to the slimming club because, yeah, we just don't want to see anything worse. You know, these things occur. Happens mm -hmm. with men as well. Oh, Dave, you know, he's taking himself too seriously. He's definitely on steroids. You know, like, people don't like it when people around them do better than them because it makes them feel like shit. And then they become in the position to tear things down. And they'd rather accept where things are than uh, try and, you know, I, this is something I've coined. I called it the confidence hater paradox. Um, there's, in essence, the way I see this, when you see success with someone doing something better than you, you're going to go in one of two ways. You're going to become more confident because you're inspired by it, or you're going to hate them for it because you don't want to paint the picture. So the majority of people that hate me are personal trainers. Majority of people, fact. So they would have come to a fork, but then again, polar opposite, the majority of my biggest fans are personal trainers. What happened here? They got to a fork in the road where they had to pick which side they were gonna go. Are they gonna go down the path of posting for years on end without a day off to build a social following status to release a book and have an online academy? Or is the easier thing just to hate me for it? and think I'm undeserved of it, that I didn't work that hard, that I was lucky or, you know, so they have to go one of two ways. So, so many women with Adele would have been inspired and gone, fuck me, if she can do it, so can I. Where did the majority of women go? To hate her, to chat shit about her, to paint her in a negative light for, objectively, she bettered herself, the position she was in. She looks fucking completely different. She says she feels better. Obviously, we don't know. I don't know, she's not my mate, but, they're, people get to a fork in the road they have to go one of two ways and sometimes it's easier to tear someone down than it is to be inspired by them 100% and that's again another reason why I feel as strongly as I do and I guess I'm gearing up to find my voice with it because I can tell you it's so much better to be physically capable I can do press ups now I don't have to take a deep breath and go <gasps> before I bend down to tie my shoelaces up because I would, cause it would have made me out of breath before I don't worry about running up and down the stairs but in terms of the um, hater paradox, what's it called? I call it, it's either the inspiration hater paradox or the confidence hater paradox because people should be looking at people that have been more successful as a trailblazing path to why they could do the same. The majority, the majority that any of us have podcasts is because of Joe Rogan, whether people like to admit it or not. <laughs> And you I can, happily admit it. Yeah. And like, if, if, if you think, you know, oh, no, it's actually like Sam Harris, you know, like, fuck you. It was Rogan. It was a hundred million dollar Spotify deal where everyone went, holy fuck. But so many I people. started before that deal, but yeah. Hundred, yeah. Hundred million dollars, <laughs> but it was 10 years mm -hmm. of graft. Thousands of episodes. Well, nearly 2,000. So like, that's, but so many people are like, oh yeah, but he took horse dewormer or whatever it is. They want to hate him so they don't have to come to the reality of what work is to be done. He is somebody who, whenever I say I really like Joe Rogan, I have to also say, I don't agree with everything he says. And then I say the thing that he said that I don't mind. But you know what? I don't like this. I, I say this the same as well, especially when people ask about Andrew Tate. I was like, the first thing I said was, I don't agree with everything he says, but I'm actually saying that just to protect myself, which is fucking bullshit. You should be able to 
like something someone said. You're not here like, hey, I believe in everything they've done. But suddenly when you say like, hey, I, I, you know, actually my girlfriend shows me Andrew Tate stuff and she goes, I really like this. And I go, do you know how jealous I am that you can say that? Andrew Tate, uh, something came up on a TikTok yesterday where he goes, before social media, when you broke up with a girl, you never saw her again. You didn't sneak onto her socials, didn't check up with what she was doing. She was just gone. And he goes, imagine how easy it would be for so many people in the world if they didn't have the ability to keep checking up on their fucking ex-girlfriends. Mm. And he goes, and also he goes, dating apps are fucking the world. He goes, imagine how much more you could love the person you're with if there wasn't a line of bitches that were waiting for you on an app. And he's not saying bitches in a derogatory sense towards women. He's just being Andrew Tate. Mm -hmm. He's being polarizing and whatever. So women are like, oh my God, I can't believe. And I'm like, listen to what he's fucking saying. He's actually championing the fact that if there wasn't so many options for people, that they might be able to have better relationships with women. Mm -hmm. But people don't want to hear that. And like, I'm sat there with a girl telling me she likes that. But I as a man now have to precursor everything that I say with, I don't agree with everything he says. <laughs> I do but I do hate a lot of things he said, but the same as Joe Rogan. I think he said some stuff that's stupid over the years. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean you can't like someone. I fundamentally 100% agree. And I think as well in terms of you, I was going to come back to you <laughs> and really risk something because I started following you because I really liked your diet content. I was like, thank goodness. And you're not the only person out there saying it the way that, well, you're not the only person saying it, but you're probably the only person I've discovered saying it the way that you say it. And then you start talking about life coaching and I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to read that book because I, I, I see your life through Instagram. I'm like, this looks really cool. But I have had definitely those moments where I've looked at your content and I'm like, yeah, James. And then I've looked and I thought, ooh, Oh, I'm upset. And then I realized, but that's me. That's because he's doing something I don't have the balls to do because I'm scared. Yes, yeah, the tough one. It's the tough one. And I called it not a life coach because I didn't want to come across as one. So like, <laughs> but I, I felt like if I could sit with any 23 year old person, and I do this now, I'll be in the gym and I'll be sat with, I'll be like working out. Someone come over and go, hey James, can I have a picture? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, oh, I bet you get this all the time. I'm like, well, not really. I was 27 when I had my first selfie. I'm 33, the majority of my life, this never happened. And I say to them, what'd you do? Because I want to paint a picture. I can see the person in the gym, what'd you do? Oh, I work in insurance. I'm like, oh, do you like it? And they're like, uh, it's all right. I was like, it's not a very strong answer for you for something you've committed your life to. How long have you been there? Three years. And that's all I got, all right. And then I'm like, um, do you see a future in it? And they're like, not really. And I'm like, well, you probably should start making new options. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I lived in Oz for a year actually, so I've seen your stories, I really want to go back. And I'm like, well, why don't you go back? And they're like, oh, you know, and I'm like, how old are you? They're like, 29. I'm like, mate, in the blink of an eye, you're going to get someone pregnant and live around here. I was like, so if you don't go soon, you've got to go. And I've chatted to that person for like 90 seconds and they've left slightly different to the person that came over. I've almost given them the telling off they need. Now, if that person wants to stay here, they won't take the advice. But if they wanted to leave, they've just taken it. Mm. And I think that's quite a powerful thing where, you know, I'm only challenging people how I've been challenged from books that I've read, where... I'll read a book and go, oh fuck, that's I've been wrong. And then I take action from it. But people don't read much anymore. You know, people don't absorb that much information. People are um, caught up with anything that doesn't challenge them. Because that feeling you had of, oh, most people shy away from that. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. And they won't, they'll blank off anything in their life that will challenge them. So with that book, it was my opportunity to say to people, you know, don't worry about a mortgage. And this is the craziest advice because people go, no, James, you're an idiot. I'm like, no, like, that was the best advice that I ever got. And again, if, if I'm wrong to 95% of people, they're just gonna ignore it. But the 5% of people that just got the money for a mortgage and don't wanna buy a house with it, they're gonna go traveling or do whatever it is. So yeah, that that project as a book was really fun for me. And I definitely felt really changed by it, genuinely, because I have, I worked in magazines for a long time. There was no money at the end of the month. I had a job that a million girls would kill me to get. So you don't get paid a lot when it's, that uh, coveted and so all I've done since since I've been freelance which is 10 years is just hoard everything because I want to be safe in the future but I was just basically like building up a, po- a pile of coins and doing nothing with it and I was still not living my life and so it I mean your book and other things and just kind of like time ticking on and realizing that I don't want to go and have my dream holiday when I'm retired. I want to go and have it now if I want it. That's all stuff that I had never considered because I had been, I guess, indoctrinated into this idea of safety, mortgage, get on a plan, do what everyone else is doing. And it was really freeing to be able to read that and go, oh my God, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Like You don't have to see the world through that lens if you don't want to. You get to write your destiny if that's what you want. Yeah, and um, interestingly enough, I spoke about Andrew Tate, his brother Tristan. I think I prefer Tristan more. He did a, I saw a TikTok of him the other day. I don't know either of them. Oh, so Andrew Tate was, uh, he got cancelled by every, so he had his Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, PayPal, Airbnb, all cancelled at the same time because he was labelled a misogynist. But the fact of the matter was he was building too much of a social presence too quickly. But was he saying misogynistic stuff? uh, Yeah. So some of the stuff he said was, a lot of it was misconstrued. He was dressed as a sex trafficker, but he got so. But he lives in Romania as a British boy, well, he's British American. Um, but the media just kind of ran off with some of the things he said out of context, and some of the things he said was yeah, very misogynistic. He, I spoke about this in a few podcasts. He should have come out of character. Like me in 2018 is very different to me now because I was trying to emerge, and trying mm-hmm. to emerge, you have to be a lot more antagonizing, probably a lot more in your face. Like, imagine this, right? A rocket that's trying to get out of the atmosphere into the orbit. Mm-hmm. The, f- the majority of the power is getting off the ground. Yeah. So that's my analogy. <laughs> Him and his brother, uh, they live in Romania. His brother, though, is the one I like, Tristan. He goes, and they're both very, very wealthy. He goes, and they come from nothing. But that's it. I'm not a Tate fan. <laughs> Much. His brother goes, spend half your money like you're going to live for 50 years. Spend half your money like you're going to live for 50 days. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put that in book four. <laughs> I do actually really like that. It's good, isn't it? Because then you've got the, the best mixture of both. And for me at the moment, I, I'm i not too fussed about money. I like I like money. I like getting paid. I'd be, again, I'd be a sociopath if I didn't. This is the free t-shirt. Like a majority of the clothes I wear have just been sent to me. I've never been paid to wear them. 
Uh, I've never done a paid post, any of that stuff, because it's not about milking the experience, it's about living it, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I live on quite a sensible salary, and I've saved up quite a bit of money. And to, and if I have enough money to buy a house, I don't like the idea of borrowing money to buy a house either. I was like, and this is a very privileged thing to say, I'm like, I just want to earn the money so I can just buy one. Mm. I just want to turn- like a trap? Yeah, it does, yeah. And I'm like, well, you're not lending me the money for free. And I'm just gonna have to pay you back on the interest. Oh, you get tenants in. I'm like, what? I'm gonna buy a dream home and put people in it. Then some people are like, oh, but you could buy 10 houses. And you, the story of the fisherman and the businessman, everyone's like, there's a fisherman out uh, fishing and a businessman comes over and says, you're really good at fishing. He's like, yeah, cheers. He's like, oh, you should get more boats, hire more fishermen so you can get more fish. He's like, then what? He's like, you could get a fishing empire. And he's like, yeah, then what? And he's like, well, you could sell the empire, make millions and retire. And he goes, then what? And he goes, well, when you retired, you could spend all your day fishing. <laughs> so like for a lot of people, they're looking for financial freedom so they can just potter about and do what they want. I do that now. Mm. And then um, I've sat with some very wealthy entrepreneurs and I said, I feel just as wealthy as you. I've just got less money. <laughs> and in some respects, like I'm, I'm so grateful that I don't have more because I see some people that earn astronomical amounts of money kind of fall into a pit of despair. And I can see it, they seem quite lonely. They haven't got genuine friends. They've come up too hard and they've not brought anyone with them for the journey and all of these things. So it can be, again, money can just be as destructive as everything else, but I'm 33, I don't own a home. And I am in that camp where I'm like, I don't wanna borrow money, I wanna have the money. I wanna, John, I'd love to go look at a property somewhere in Australia, buy the beach. I go, how much is it? And they're like, oh yeah, it's this much. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy it. And then they're like, oh, do you need to get a mortgage broker? And I'd be like, all this stamp duty, mortgage broker, all this shit, I hate it. Here's the cash. <laughs> yeah, and like someone goes, oh, it's ridiculous. You know, you've got to borrow money carefully. That's just how I'd like to do it. Mm. Same, I'm, but I'm not an idiot in the same sense that uh, about six months ago, I bought a five-year-old Golf R. I wanted the car I had when I was a PT in Bracknell. I wanted to relive that and I went to buy it and the guy was like, oh, you could do it on finance. I was like, I'll just pay for it. He was like, but why would you pay for it? You get it on finance. I was like, I just don't want to think about it. I just want to buy it and yeah the whole idea of getting into a 30-year loan and being fixed in the same place and the amount of people we probably both know they work here they want to live here but they can't afford here so what do they do they live over here mm -hmm. why are they living over here they're living over here because it's the only place that they can afford okay cool so their commute is now an hour reach way so they can have a house so they're now losing you know a considerable amount of their day that they're awake just in commuting they've now got the commuting costs now they've also moved into that house with their partner who they're not in the best relationship with, but it was easy to get a mortgage for the two of them. They then move in together and realize that they're not meant to be with each other. They actually forced it to get a mortgage together. They're now living in a home. One of them soon got to move out in an area they didn't want to live in. They just did it so they could have the house where both of them could have rented their little rooms closer to where they worked in the area they wanted to live, had housemates they could have shared their lives with up until they were like in their early thirties or whatever then they could have been a bit more selective about it. It seems people are jumping the gun with, you know, living in a place they don't want to live in the best years of their life with a person they shouldn't have moved in with, mm. racking up debt to get a mortgage because it's a smart financial decision and moving out two years later and lucky to break even when you take all the costs and buying back out the loan and your stamp duty and your lawyer fees and all of these things. Like, how is that the best advice we can give young people? It, it certainly isn't. But I, for a long time, especially as a woman, I think, I don't know if it's the same pressure on a man, I thought that that was the thing that I was being left behind. It was a juggernaut that other people were on. And I was like running behind going, have me, have me. And I, I didn't have the means to be able to join it. So I just felt left out. So again, 
your book, other things made me go, oh, I'm ignoring the fact that actually my situation's really fine. Yeah, and, and yeah, you lose fact to this. And imagine this, the ultimate currency we should be dealing in is happiness, right? And if you're, if you're giving up happiness for better financial position, to a lot of people that's a good deal, to me it's not. And then people go, oh, but you wanna leave your kids something. And I'm like, but do I? I was like, I probably wanna nurture them up to their early 20s and then I want them to be fucking self-sufficient by then. Mm-hmm. And what, daddy leaving you a couple hundred grand or a house, is that really gonna put my kids in the best stead to go through their 20s into their 30s? I'm like, not really, when I was maybe 18, my mum and dad have a massive mortgage on their house. My dad's like, we don't own this. <laughs> my dad's like, we're interest only. So my dad literally just pays the bank interest. And although the value of the house goes up with inflation, everything like that, he was like, you're not gonna be left the house. He was like, we're trying to leave you whatever we can, but we're not gonna leave the house. And I was like, oh, what a relief. I was like, I'm gonna have to work myself. And if you look at any of like the uh, leaders of like the Roman empire, the ones who got it handed down from their father as like uh, bloodline, they were all assholes. They were all <laughs> tyrannists so we should be able to paint a picture that leaving your kids too much is really bad for their development mm-hmm. but that's everyone's main argument oh we're gonna leave your fucking kids like imagine you rented until your 50s but you lived the best fucking life is it the smartest thing on paper maybe not but for some people it's perfect for their character for the person because we all have different tastes and interests that's why some of us become accountants some become painters some become pts whatever we're all very very different and to me although one day i will buy the dream fuck off home and stand outside it and maybe sit on a Porsche or something and go like I did it. Like um, like holding a big cop. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah, like, but then if someone said, oh, that day's never gonna happen. Imagine like a, the, the Oracle from Matrix comes, she goes, it's never gonna happen. I wouldn't be that cut about it mm-hmm. because I have a great life. And I've said this a lot of times, I put it in the book. I even said this to my dad the other night. The worst thing he could have ever done to me was when I was 28, or 27, I was having a barbecue with him in the garden. I said to him, I think I might go to Australia. He never asked me how many savings I had, never asked me if I could afford a mortgage, never asked me nothing. I had 3,000 pounds to my name at 27. That's it, everywhere, including my pension, which I tried getting out and they said no. I had 500 quid and I was buzzing. That was a big percentage of my net worth. And um, he was like, yeah, go enjoy yourself. And being skint, traveling, broke, and having my back up against it was probably the main reason I experienced success. The worst thing he could have done to my entire life was telling me I should have done what everyone else is told to do, and that's to settle down, get a mortgage, and plant your feet in the ground. I wanted to talk to you about the move to Australia, actually, uh, because you were doing pretty well here. Like you, your personal training was going fine, and you—I think I've heard you say—but you wanted to do that, but in paradise. There was a real calling for you for Australia, wasn't there? Yeah. So, I, for a start, I was bored. So, that's not anything against my clients. My clients were the best. Like they were like my mum and dad, a lot of them. I was coming into work and uh, I, I was the highest paid in the gym. I did the least hours, I had the best life. Uh, I actually had a really shitty old car. It was a Catsy written off polo. And my clients were coming, this is the thing, I didn't even realize at I the time. I drive a polo, I love polos. Yeah, but this was an old one. I just put my key in the door to open it. And this is like, but my clients were like, James, we pay you really well. Like just two of my clients that I saw, uh, they were husband and wife. I saw one nine to nine thirty, one nine thirty to ten. They paid me twelve hundred pounds a month uh, up front to do these like little sessions, and that was my gym rent and my rent paid for. So everything after that was profit. So every other hour I did within the day was profit. I was charging like fifty, sixty pounds an hour. So I was playing rugby everywhere. I was I was like, oh, I'm off to Dubai this weekend playing rugby. Then I'm in Stockholm. Then I'm in Copenhagen. Like 
every weekend I was away having the best time. But then they came in one day and my clients were like, if you don't buy a better car, we're gonna fucking buy one for you. And they meant it. And I was like, I don't wanna be in debt with a car. <laughs> they, let, they had like a Porsche and stuff. They were like, take yourself seriously, James. So I went, I bought a Golf, which is why I kind of got into this thing. But apart from that, everything else part of my business was the best. I'd come in, I'd never wear my PT top, I'd be in my rugby kit. The manager would be like, James, you gotta wear your PT top. I'd be like, yeah, whatever. I'd be like, oh, shut up. Like, you know, I, I was almost king of the roost a little bit. But then I'd come outside, it'd be dark. I'd be in a Bracknell trading estate and I was in a budget gym that was 19.99 a month. So I was like, huh, I was like, is this where the story ends kind of thing? So I was like, I probably should go, I need to change my pond size because when I played rugby, I had the same experience where I was playing first team quite a lot. And then I went to a club that used to smash us 16 nil all the time. So by putting myself there, I was one of the worst players in the squad, but I kind of reveled in it. I was like, this is this is a better club to be at. And my teammates thought I was crazy. They're like, why are you going to that club? You're not good enough to play there. I was like, exactly. <laughs> so then I wanted to experience that again in the gym. I wanted to be in a gym where I could learn from other PTs. They could like, I wanted to be a small fish because it sounds crazy. The first year I was in that gym, in my fourth year, I'd look back and go, I miss that guy. He was working way harder than me. Mm -hmm. He had his back up against it. He was trying his hardest. That guy would chat to 30 people before going home. This guy gets paid too much to do that. He's got weak, you know? So I was like, I need to change, change it up. And I was like, if I'm gonna move to London, I might as well move to another city. And I said to my dad about maybe going to Norway. So uh, I was dating a Norwegian chick for a bit who lived in Norway and I was seeing her like most weekends. So I had a, Bird in Norway, I was playing rugby on the scene, but she played sevens for Norway as well. So we were everywhere. But then, yeah, I just got to it. I was like, I'm gonna go to Australia. And I actually had a psychedelic trip at a festival in the July and I flew in the October. I think I was gone, yeah, maybe, maybe it was August. Did the trip give you the answers? Yeah, it was an introspective conversation myself where it said, literally I challenged myself. I'd never wanted to go to Australia in my life before. And after this trip, I was like, and during the trip, it was like, why, you need to go to Australia, why have you never been? This is the perfect place for you. Like, I was like, oh. So then I went, and I was like, the worst case scenario is if I'm wrong, I'll just come back. Mm -hmm. This is either the biggest trip of my life or it's a holiday. And I had my 3,000 pounds, my flight was 550, and I went one way, got a working holiday visa, I was like, I'll figure it out. Um, are you somebody who atrophies if, you, if there's routine? or if it's just the same. Like I can imagine, I'm projecting onto you my own experience, but I had a sales job and I, same, same train in, same train out, it was a long commute. I remember someone who I was on the train with once, an older guy actually, one winter evening, carriages were emptying out because I was near the end of the line. And he just said, can I give you a piece of advice, please? Don't, don't commute, it just, it takes your life, it ages you. And I was like, all right, mate, and that I totally, agree with that but this idea of like same train every day used to try and sit in the same seat in the same carriage all of that stuff it almost kills my spirit <laughs> without wanting to be too wanky about it is that something that you have do you feel like you always have to be pushing because i went from that to i want to work on a huge uh, magazine which is one of the hardest jobs that you could get at the time it was very very difficult but i was like if i don't get off this and try then I will always wonder. Yeah, there was part of me that was definitely in that gym. Like sometimes the showers wouldn't be hot. There'd be things like um, 
there'd be builders that were like hogging the leg press and they've still got work boots on, it was muddy. Mm. And I was like, I can't change my environment. I can't change the things in my environment, I can change my environment. So I thought that. Um, yeah, as far as that, weirdly in Australia, my routine is what I love. So I know when the trains run, I, I've just moved to like a, a new apartment block. And the crazy thing is, I have an apartment in Bondi that overlooks Sydney Opera House and Harbour Bridge. I get sun on my balcony all day. I've got aircon heating in the lot and it's cheaper. Nearly a third of the price what I lived living in Richmond was. So Richmond, which is night past of London, I'm over here and everyone's like, Australia's expensive. I was like, it's not. Our petrol is a pound a litre over there. And Shut it, up. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you go drinking a lot, it can be expensive. But my life in Australia is actually a lot cheaper. Yeah. And then um, today, even getting the train here, call it like an hour, for me and my missus, it was like 56 pounds. In Australia, that cost you maybe three or four pounds to travel that same distance. Like my business partner comes in from an hour and 45 minutes out and his ticket, it's not even like $10, it's like five pounds. Public transport's so cheap there. Aircon trains, quite nice, whatever. But so I'm, I've got that in Sydney. My jiu-jitsu gym and the gym that I train at are 200 meters down the road. Mm -hmm. the train station's 100 meters, the shop's opposite. I go into the office from Bondi to the city, I can skateboard in 25 minutes and it's downhill. So in the mornings I can skateboard to work. So my routine's sorted. Then in the other direction, it's a 10 minute drive to the beach. If you want to have half an hour at the beach to have a swim, parking's like two pounds. So my routine is great. And the Truman Show of Relive It, no, Groundhog Day, every single day there is amazing. But I need something to motivate me. And that's where my content and my work comes in. Mm. So my ever-changing variables that I need is often my work. So I love everything around being exactly the same, being perfect. I could live, and this is the crazy thing about my life in Australia. If the Oracle came over and said, you're gonna do this every day to die, I'd go brilliant. If anything, that'd be better than my existing life because I haven't got a visa yet. <laughs> so that was it. If someone had done that in Bracknell and come up and gone, this is your life forever, it would have made me put me into turmoil. Mm. So irrespective of mortgage, irrespective of renting, irrespective of all of that, if you said to me, your life isn't gonna change, I'd go brilliant. And that's what people should be looking for. Do you think that's a question people should be asking themselves? Like if every day is like today was, will I be happy? That's pretty much the most important question. And for me, I have the sea dips, like my girlfriend lives a little bit down the coast. So we'll wake up, we'll go for a swim in the sea, then we're going about our day. And I'm like, this is, this is everything that I want. And it's not the same because some people love being in London or city life or whatever it is, but that's fine. Then my escape from all of that is my work. Then this is where I get to be creative because all day I'm thinking, what am I gonna post about? How am I gonna present it? What am I gonna do? Then I love looking at everything that I've posted to see what worked and what didn't. Mm. And most of my social media strategy is a game. So I'm a gamer by heart. I love video games. So I Call of Duty, whatever it is. I used to play Age of Empires when I was on my computer at home. I'm, hyper com I'm a hyper competitive male. If I was in a tribe thousands of years ago, I'd be bringing back the most pigs. That'd be it. <laughs> they'd, they'd be like, James, we have enough pigs. I'd be like, fuck it. I got Pig man. Yeah, I'd be like, I've got more than every other man. That's all that matters. I like, that's like my, that's my way of feeling like whole. So like even now, uh, I messaged Paul Lima about six months ago. He had 500,000 people on TikTok. I had 100,000. I go, I'm coming for you. And he messages me back. He goes, it's not a competition. I was like, to me it is. <laughs> and then when I overtook him, I was like, I've got you. And he was like, we're not even playing a game here. But to me, everything's a hyper-competitive game. If he's got more followers than me, it's a high score I've got to beat. So I have this daily little uh, time of the day where I'm like, how can I beat people that don't even know they're in a game with me? And I love that. That's my escape. Then when a video goes viral, it's a high score. But then I've become very numb to the fact 
although the idea is to entertain people and educate people, it doesn't feel real, like there are a real amount of people. Mm-hmm. So like uh, when there's a quarter of a million people looking at my story views, I see 250 and I'm like, personal record. No part of my brain has actually figured out that that's fucking three, four Twickenham stadiums on top of each other watching you in the middle. So, you know what I mean? So, that doesn't feel real, but the video game side of it does. So, the commute, if I like the commute, it's fine. But the trains, train line here, it takes me an hour to get in from Ascot. In Sydney, it takes me like 10 minutes on the train. Mm-hmm. And then I'm in beautiful Sydney CBD and the hillside, I'm in Bondi. Like, so I'm in like a cool part of the world. But when I come back here, I do have that feeling of feeling very disjointed and disconnected and like I can't settle here. So I put on weight when I come back to the UK because as I don't feel settled as far as my lifestyle, I eat more to fill that quota. So as long as I'm not here for too long at a time, I'm fine. I'm, last time I went back to Sydney and got into my routine, I lost like five, six kilograms. Like everyone was like, you've lost a lot of weight. I was like, yeah, I feel great because I've got everything I need. Given the stuff that I know about you, having read the books, I wonder what it's like that you love Australia and yet the ultimate decision about whether you stay or not does not lie in your within your control. How do you make peace with that? Because that's probably one of the few things I'm guessing in your life that you can't action. Yeah, it's strangely motivating. So it's motivating if it wasn't already to be law-abiding. So like, <laughs> I'll be honest, like when, when I was younger, I would have a beer and drive. Not like be drunk, but... If there was like two pints, I'd be like, oh, I've been at the pub, like, you know, a couple hours, I'm fine. Um, But now, like, anything like that, I'm zero tolerance. Like, if someone's like, oh, do you want a glass of wine? Even if I'm celebrating a book, I won't have a touch glass of champagne. I don't want to be anywhere near a car when I've had alcohol. I don't want to be speeding in places that I could get, like, you're in trouble with the police. So I'm squeaky clean at the moment because I don't want anything to get in the way. Uh, On top of that, with as far as profile and presence... I will take on anything that will build my profile because one day an immigration officer is going to come across my uh, my profile and he's either going to give me the tick or the cross. So a lot of it I'm using to motivate myself to do well. Like in my head, I'm thinking, okay, James, when I'm writing the book, I'm like, try and make this Waterstones book of the year because that will help your visa decision. So a lot of it is like working towards that and I think that the best way to explain it is like, I've got the opportunity to be undeniable to someone that I've never met. So that's what I'm trying to do. It doesn't cause havoc as much as it causes like motivation. I'm like, I can't have a day off today because today I could have done something that might have put me on side with that person, if that makes sense. So there is that. Also, um, when I look at like winning and losing, I love winning, I'm hyper competitive. Sometimes losing is good. So with the visa, it would be a pretty big loss. But every time I've lost badly in my life, it's been brilliant for me. Mm. So whether it's going to that gym in Sydney and not, and not working out, whether it's November 2020 when I competed in jiu-jitsu after the lockdown, I thought I was going to win all my matches and I lost them all. And I that fucking, I've never been the same person since. So November 2020, went to a tournament as blue belt. So I'm purple now, so it's quite a while ago. I thought I was going to win. I lost all my matches and I shared a lift with my three teammates that won double gold in all their divisions. And it hurt. Like, it was bad. To the point that in my second match, my match was then delayed by five hours. I lost and my teammates were like, you didn't even try. I just did. I just wanted to go home. And it was horrible for me to think that. And people are like, oh, that's not really a big issue because it's just a jiu-jitsu match. But to me, it wasn't just a jiu-jitsu match. And since that day, I've never rested around at training. 
So we do sparring for like an hour, an hour and a half, whatever it is. I've, what's that, nearly two years, I've not rested around at training, but now I hold my teammates to that standard. So when I teach, so it's five minutes of nonstop sparring, get a minute off. I mean, you could be doing that for an hour. I now don't let anyone else rest. I'm like, this is the standard. This is the, what I've set. And even if someone's struggling, I'm like, you've got to get on. And so like- So straight from roll to roll, grapple from roll, to grapple, yeah. no. You get like time to get your water, but you're back on. And I'll fall out with people. I'll be like, this is my class. You can either roll or you can go home. Like that's, that's the standard. But to me, after losing that badly, I was like, something has to change. Mm. So I'm almost, when I look back at these big L's that I've got, they're brilliant for me because then I come back like with a thicker skin. So if I got denied for my visa, I'd probably sulk for an hour, but then I'd be like, okay, cool. Let's yeah. go for it again. Let's find another way. Let's look at other options and avenues. Let's throw money at it, <laughs> whatever it is. So even the biggest losses, I kind of, even with the third book, I get the phone call from a uh, strategy director at Harv Collins. And when he tells me that we got the third title, I was like, thank fuck for that. And he was like, what is wrong with you and your manager? I said, why? He goes, you're supposed to be happy, not relieved. He was like, he's like, you're expressing the wrong emotion. He was like, everyone's happy when they get it. You're not happy, you're relieved because of the standards you set. But for me, I was ready to not get it as well. But then I would also cherish the amount of work I would have to do to whether get it in the paperback run or to push for a fourth book or whatever it is, because then I could put my, my disappointment energy into another place. If you gamify life in the way that it appears that you do, which obviously serves you very, very well, are you aware of your flaws and failings? Are you realistic about them? And do you, someone once said to me on this podcast, don't worry about strengthening your weaknesses, worrying about strengthening your strengths. And it always makes me think about Arnold Schwarzenegger, who unfortunately has not been on this podcast yet, but I'm hoping that he will one day. Because he was Mr. Olympia, but I mean, I'd never say this to his face, but maybe his calves aren't as big as they could be, right? And I wonder if that bothers him and that's why the rest of him is was something he made so tank-like. Yeah, I think that one of the key things that I definitely do is just to identify my weaknesses. So one of the biggest downfalls in my life up until this point has probably been dating. And I've now been seeing the same girl for the longest period of time probably ever. So we're doing well. But I made it very apparent to her when I met her I told her everything that was wrong with me. I was like, so when I get an idea for content creation, I have to do it or I can't relax. And mm -hmm. she spots that and she will stop what she's doing selflessly and be like, let's go film it or let's go do it. Or she'll be like, I'll do this, you do the edit. And sometimes that is actually me taking the piss a bit because say I'm doing laundry or something and I have an idea, she'll be like, no, no, let's film it now. Then I'll come back and she'll be like, hey, I'm gonna finish folding your laundry, you do the edit but that's a strength on her part because she appreciates what I'm like. And then that's really healthy for our relationship, not because she's serving me, but she understands me. And then once I finish the edit and I'm really happy, I'm then like, okay, let me take you for dinner. Let's go do something or whatever it is. Whereas some other people, I've not fully expressed them what I'm not good at. I literally can't relax until I've done something. So uh, a lot of the time, if I record something, I'll post it about 10, 15 minutes later, like straight away. Mm. Some people spend days with their edits. I'm like, I can't. Um, and that's probably like an extreme example of it, but I'm very open with that as well. And I say, hey, this is it. Um, because I valued our relationship, I've read a book on attachment styles and I let her know very quickly that I can become very avoidant because it, it's my way of dealing with things. So because I'm so hyper-competitive in my work life, when things in my relationship life aren't going well or how I want them to, I just park it 
because I can put all my energy and effort into work, then that person will become anxious because of my avoidance stance. And then I'll use their anxiety as a reason to push them further away. So I like, I told her all of this straight away. And I think that in the relationship standpoint has been very good for me. I think within work stuff as well, I've just brought on, uh, I've just hired people for the first time ever, like five years into our business. I sit with them and I tell them, I'm like, I'm really impatient. And then when I say I'm gonna do something, the girls in my office now like sit down, we'll do this in a week. I'm like a week and they're like, yeah, we're gonna plan it out. We're gonna put some structure behind it. And I'm like, what the fuck? They're but, turning James Smith PLC tantric. Yeah, but then it's, it's congruent to like better success in it. So I'm understanding of it. So I don't think I wanna work on becoming more patient. I wanna work on expressing my flaws to people a lot more so that they can help me. Um, you know, I, I joke with my girlfriend now. I'm like, hey, I've slept with a lot of people. <laughs> And I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> like, I've read your book. I know yeah. you've slept with a lot of people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's things like that. So I, I don't think that we all do need to work on our flaws so much. Like, I don't want to have a better attention span. I don't want to be more patient. I probably selfishly want people to understand me better because the same, the reason that I've experienced success is because of my flaws as much as my talents. So sometimes at IFS, we had that fitness event. I got fucking smashed, I blacked out, don't remember anything. And the next day I woke up and I was like, what are you doing with your life? I thought about that, I was like, that's not, I was like, that's not a way to live. But then I went, you kind of got here by doing this though. So if you didn't do this, maybe you wouldn't be where you are. So I was like, do you know what? As much as we can point the finger at our inadequacies and our flaws, and we should be definitely working and developing them. At the same time, I was like, it's probably these flaws that got me to where I am. If I wasn't, impatient or if I didn't have a the the need to get things done straight away then I might not have been as productive so I don't think I want to blur the the skills and attributes that may have actually been a big part in my experience success in the first place I don't know whether this is something that is more impacted on women than it is on men because obviously I can't look at it through a man's lens but I have definitely felt like this idea of you've got to become perfect. Not just that you've got to become better, but you've got to be really, really better. And I mean, I could talk for hours about, I think women are really poorly served when it comes to motivation, getting better and empowering themselves. For example, we've talked about Joe Rogan, the reason I started a podcast. Rogan and Ferris not only were my inspiration for starting a podcast but when I was really struggling with my mental health they stopped me from going to the bad place because they platformed these incredible people whether it was Arnold Schwarzenegger the one the Ferris episode with Triple H one of my favorites and these are people I would never come across in my normal life and I would listen to what they say and I was like oh my god anything is possible absolutely anything yet the majority of people that is aimed at is men and I would say that one of the things that I took from it is like you can try really, really hard doesn't matter if you fall you can try really hard and, and you you can be amazing with women I think it takes this really weird thing where it becomes crystals and it becomes slightly spiritual and it's like you're actually removing them even further away from being able to tap into the agency to be a better version of themselves or achieve the goals that they want to achieve I don't know if you smiled then, so I don't know whether you've noticed that as well. It's interesting because we we can't just sit here and say that we're just different genders and that's it, that we've got different sexual organs because we don't. We have very different psychologies. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, I've said a couple of times before that I'm a hyper-competitive male. And that's not saying that women can't be hyper-competitive. I've just kind of identified myself. And you know, even reading the work of like Jordan Peterson has helped me understand myself. And I don't ever like it to be a debate of men versus women, because I think me being a hyper-competitive male makes me feel fulfilled, which makes me a very good partner to be supportive to a woman. And it, it is interesting because when you look at the, like you say, the women side of things and women that want to aspire for these heights and be hyper-competitive themselves, they can end up almost getting slightly sidetracked with things like crystals, healing, energy, chakras, vibrations. Um, I don't fully understand the kind of differences in it. But like, I do, I do like it. I do appreciate the diversity of it. And I think that some lessons people want to hear from men, some lessons some people want to hear from women. And I think that it's, that's not male or female exclusive either. Similar to like when you get trained. Some women like to be coached by women. Some women like to be coached by men. Some men like to be coached by men. Some men like to be coached by women. Mm. It's a, yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. But like, if you were to, what's the question you have for this, this topic? I, well, I feel that women get soft served. And- In what way? If I were to Google as a female, I think, forget about algorithms, whatever, like I'm struggling with my mental health. This is something that was, I was dealing with. I believe that the results that would come my way would be a little airy fairier. Mm. Whereas, and friends have said to me, you think a bit more, you have a bit more of a male way of thinking, which I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like I said, I can't. I think there's definitely spectrums. Yes. Because uh, with, we've got male and female, but then there are different areas of our life. So for instance, Phil Graham, who is a business mentor, he's also a former Olymp Mr. Olympia. I think he's won it before. So he's a big, big muscly dude. I went to his house last weekend in Belfast and he cooked a fantastic meal, but we all relaxed, had a drink. He was in the kitchen. He wouldn't let his wife anywhere near. He had the tomahawk, had the steak, had everything. He's got his apron on. And I was like, Phil, you're the most macho man I know, but I'm feeling some feminine energy here and I like it. And he's there cutting the steak, make sure, make sure everyone's all right. So I think that the energies definitely cross mm -hmm. over. With the um, mental health thing, one thing I've said about in the menopause debate, women become so accustomed to falling on a sword. Oh, we want to have kids. That's actually me having sacrificed my life. I can't drink. I've got to endure nine months of pregnancy and three fucking trimesters of all kinds of hormonal bullshit. Before then, I have my lower region torn apart to give birth to a baby where, thank God, in the last 15 years, uh, mortality during pregnancy has decreased by 45%. You know, so then I've got to nurture, breastfeed, sleep deprive myself to bring up this fucking child. So you've got all this time then oh, babe, you're right to give up work so I can keep providing and going back. Oh, babe, I've got a work trip. So women have to give up so much in their life throughout this. Then it becomes school runs and it becomes moaning kids and you've got teenagers going through puberty. Then boom, you hit menopause. So then we've got women that I believe that why a lot of people, women are resistant to HRT is they're so used to just falling on the grenade and letting it blow up that they don't want to be a nuisance then. I think that's why the average age of suicide in women is between 50 and 55. Because they are rather, Tracks, yeah. Yeah, they would rather take on the burden of menopause and its full force because they've taken on the burden of childbirth, child rearing, puberty. Puberty was a bad time for me and my parents. Just had too much testosterone. So I think you have that. And I think also women can be, I, I don't know if it's to do with maybe agreeableness where you can't be too assertive with your advice because it might not sit too well with them. With a man, I believe you might be able to say, 
listen, mate, you need to get your fucking house in order. We need to get you fit. You need to lose some fucking weight. We need to get your sex drive back. We need to get you out there dating. You need to ask for a fucking pro. You could talk to someone like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like maybe women don't think that women can be as receptive to that feedback. So they're like, hey, babe, you know, everything's fine. Uh, by the way, you're looking great. You're doing so well. You're glowing. Like, I think they might be trying to cater to how they want to be spoken to. But I don't know if that's gender specific because some women, like you say, might want the hard talking to. And that's probably where I have my female audience online. Whereas the other one, a lot of women just think I'm a prick because that's not for them. So I get so many messages in my comments being like, why have you said this? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, maybe that wasn't for you. Yeah, look away. Yeah. Look away. I had uh, uh, someone message me the other day. like, Well, it was actually probably about a year ago. She was like, um, I can't believe you keep raving on about calorie deficit. My sister uh, is anorexic. She's trying to recover. And all you talk about is reducing calories. And I was like, it's not for them. And she couldn't appreciate that. I also had someone fly into my inbox yesterday calling me a fucking disgrace. I can't believe all of this. I'm like, what? And she goes, you emailed my sister. You made her depressed. And this woman came to me with a myriad of eating disorders and medications. And I said, I'm sorry, nor myself or my team are qualified to help. I've read your newsletter. And I was like, and I was like, I was like, I'm getting abused for this. I was like, I said to her, if you came to me, and this is the actual email response. I said, if you wanted me to prescribe your antibiotics, would you be angry if I said I couldn't do it? And I was like, yeah, a lot of the time you've got to make sure that the advice you're giving is for the right people. Yeah. But a lot of the time it's not. And people take that very personally. Yeah, it's true. I need to formulate what, I'm, what really is going on there because I do think that it shouldn't be as black and white or as male and female in terms of the thinking. But I tend to shy away from a lot of stuff. And you also find that it almost has to become critical for people to seek advice. So let's say it's like, you need to become lost before you realize you're lost. Say you're out in the park. You go off track, that's fine. You go a little bit more off track, that's fine. But then when you really don't know where you are, that's the time you panic. And the same goes for like mental health. I think people need to be better educated. I don't have the answers as to what low mood feels like, what uh, you know onset of depression might feel like. It also seems kind of crazy that people might be already in a position of being very lost before they even tell someone. So I, I can't, explain it from a female perspective because i don't know i've actually not even had that many discussions with men about mental health so much but interestingly enough one of my friends who has suffered really badly with their mental health i said to him that i was lucky and he goes now nah. he goes you don't even realize how much you're protecting your mental health and he goes he goes i can see it but you can't see it mm. whether it's stress fatigue you know all of the constituents of maintaining mental health and I think that, I'm not sure, it's, it's tough because we can never put each other in each other's shoes for it. Mm. It's almost like those all those things over overwhelm or overfill or overflow at once or the band of each thing just stretches and you've not caught it in time. And it seems like the way that you live, if you're overwhelmed, you're going to catch it fairly quickly before it becomes uh, catastrophic. And again... It, it, it seems really unhelpful and when I have this conversation about mental health I say I wasn't having any agency I wasn't taking any ownership I was just letting things happen to me and then I would be oh this has really happened to me and it's awful and it's terrible and that was just my factory setting then I didn't I wasn't able until therapy to turn around and go oh I don't have to view it like that I can completely take away that meaning from it and now it doesn't have any power over me and that I think is something that's really empowering and I don't hear a lot of. I hear a lot of, hey, go and have 
wear a crystal in your bra. <laughs> I'd be like, you, if, if wearing a crystal in your bra makes you feel better, I'm never going to take that away from you. Placebo effect is real. I know you talk about that in the new book. But when it comes to actually impacting the issue and not glossing over it, action is required. Ownership and accountability is required. Yeah, it's interesting as well. Where I, Have you heard the saying that a single coin in a jar makes the most noise? I've heard the one about the greasy wheel, but go on. <laughs> so if you only have one problem, it will manifest to be the biggest problem because mm. there aren't other problems to take the load. And I do feel like some people do end up in a bit of an existential kind of crisis because their their brains are only working on relationship, work, other. People don't have much, almost like adventure in their lives. Mm. So... One of Ryan Holiday's favorite quotes was he goes, writers live interesting lives. And I thought that's a really like powerful thing to say. And like for so many people, say that like low mood or whatever, could they say their life was interesting? And I was like, that's quite a profound thing to ask someone. And again, with that money that people saved up for mortgages, whatever, I had a lad come to one of my events once and I could tell he, he was young, he was like, I don't know what to do in my life. He was like, I've just inherited 10,000 pounds. I was like, I don't know what to do. I was like, spend half on traveling, just go somewhere. I was like, it's crazy that to tell someone to take five of your favorite books, me and you could name our five favorite books. You could say to someone, that's 50 quid. Your flight to Bali, although extortion at the moment is whatever. Go stop off in fucking China or Hong Kong, get a cheap flight, whatever the cheapest flight is, go there, read the books, get there. I want you to find a beanbag in Chengdu, sit on the beach, drink some bintangs and come back when you've read those books. Like, it's so crazy that our advice to people is, although I, I'm a strong advocate of therapy and everything else there, like so many people do have the power in their hands to mix it up a bit or to make their problems feel different. And they, I don't suppose there's any leaders in that space that are like saying to them in some respects, almost be a bit reckless. Quit your job, quit your partner, break up with them, mm. go away. Go fucking on a train trip around Europe, go read some books, go have six months off work. I'm on six months off work, but my career ladder, my, how's my CV gonna look? Who fucking cares if you're not happy? Like if you're unhappy and your CV looks good, who fucking cares? Mm. If you're unhappy and your body look, looks good, who cares? Like, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy that we talk about so many currencies in the world, but not many of them situate around happiness, which is ultimately the main power source of even being a being. I have about 40 other things that I want to ask you about, but I've been given the signal twice now that we've come to the end of our time together and I was trying to push my luck, but I can't do it any longer. Um, James, it's been such a pleasure to chat to you genuinely. I really appreciate what you put out there and I really appreciate the fact that it's straight down the barrel, straight down the lens. And I don't think you intend to mislead anyone. You might, you might want to antagonize in order to gamify that social media, but I think your intention is always to steer people who you're speaking to in the right direction for them, which I think is excellent. It's why I invite people like you on this show. So thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Why not become a patron of the Emma Gunn show today? For just £3 a month, you can enjoy episodes of the podcast ad-free and in video. That's just £3 less than a cup of coffee for a whole month of the show. Your support means I can keep creating the podcast and also invest in production and creation of bonus content for you to enjoy. To become a patron, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now.